0: Hey listen we are again kicking off this holiday series and uh, I just want to point out and to, to be appropriate for the holiday series I decided to do this message with a sore throat um, so that it was really difficult to listen to and that you would know that if you haven't got it yet it's coming so prepare yourself and strengthen your prayer life I think is what what the message is. But no we're, we're in this series called Holiday Field Guide. The whole idea is How do we set up, like a how-to on how do we survive the holidays? Like how do we get to a place where we're not reacting, but we're actually prepared for what's coming? So that's where we're going starting today, and we're going to be going for the next several weeks. So wherever you're joining us from, we're glad that you're jumping in this with us. And today we're kicking off with finances. Everybody say, yay, finances. Yay, finances. There you go. Now, a little confession. When I mentioned finances, how many of you inside cussed a little bit? Just a little bit. You're like, serious, man? Are we really going here again? But here, let me just tell you why, all right? I just want to throw a few of these stats up. Last year, the 2018 holiday season retail sales hit $970 billion in America. Okay, just let that, like, What? <laughs> Okay, already they're estimating that for this year, for the first time in history, we're going to hit over $1 trillion in holiday spending. In the Christmas season, we're already looking at this. One survey showed that in 2017, the average household debt from the holiday spending was $1,054. You know how long it took them to pay this off? 63 months Okay, thank you. I'm glad you're feeling this. Listen, by the time they pay this off, they will have had five more Christmases. What do you think happens if they don't address the habit of their spending? One day they're going to look back and go, why can't we do anything? Why is there no margin in our budget? Why can't we feel the freedom to to love and spend or be generous in the way? It's because of this kind of stuff. Now, just because we thought this was pretty wild, my buddy Greg and I did a little bit of a, a fun thing. What can you get for 970 billion dollars? Here, here's what they estimated. They estimated the first human trip to Mars is going to be about 200 billion dollars. That's pretty awesome. Here's something else: to, have, to give access to clean water and sanitation for the world for one year is about 150 billion dollars. To translate the scriptures in every known language in our world would be $500 million. Here's what you need to understand. If you add all that up, it only amounts to 36% of what Americans spent on Christmas. How crazy is that? So should we be talking about finances as a how to survive the holiday season? I think so. I think that we are well within what is wise to go with this. So this is why we bring it up. In, In order for us to survive the holidays, we need to address something that's going on that impacts every one of us. Every one of us is impacted by this particular thing. Not only does it influence us today, but this thing has the ability to significantly impact our future. And here's what I'm talking about our insatiable desire for more 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 stuff how many of you even remember what you got last year for christmas anybody besides the debt you're like oh i remember that still working on that one no listen so listen and uh, so this desire for more think of how it influences today and think of how dramatically it impacts our future if we're making decisions for the moment today if we don't get it under control it will control us that's the reality that's what we got to sort out the good news is we're not alone in this all right scripture teaches about this all over but there's a story that I'm pretty excited about because I think it captures this principle that you read about all through scripture so if you got a bible go ahead and turn to Genesis 25. And while you're doing that, I'm going to take a sip of my tea. Genesis 25. So, little background on the passage before we get there. You know, so in Genesis, this is the beginning of our story, right? And so God one day comes to a man named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you a promise. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing so God comes to Abraham and he says I'm picking your family out of human history and I'm going to do something amazing through it then Abraham eventually had a son his name was Isaac then Isaac had two sons Jacob and Esau that's who we're going to learn about today now here's what's interesting about these two they were born as twins Jacob and Esau were and when Esau was born he was technically first But Jacob was literally holding on to Esau's ankle as he was born. And that actually won him the name Jacob, because Jacob means he who takes by the heel. Or, more appropriately, cheater. He who cheats. He gets what he wants. He goes the back way. He tries to get what the oldest has. He tries to get anything that he can. And the story we're going to look at is going to be just a perfect picture of that reality. But think if you were the mom and your twins were already fighting. Think of how that would be a foreshadowing of life in the teens. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, Lord have mercy. But here's the deal. So we jump into um, Genesis 25, 27. He describes the boys. He says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful, hunt, skillful hunter, a man of the field. You're like, Yeah. Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. So already you're like, mm, okay, they're on different sides here. Isaac loved Esau, he just took it up a notch. Isaac loved Esau because it says he ate his game. So if you wanna know the way to a man's heart, it's through his belly. Amen, Amen. (laughs) yes, now we're getting into it, okay. But here's what happened, Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, this is not the message, but you can see why this is bad, right? Why favoritism is something God opposes, like in your house or in your workplace or whatever. Listen, from this, dysfunction breeds and perpetuates dysfunction. And so that's not the message, but that is a message. Okay, so we know there are problems. Here's where we're gonna start, verse 29. Y'all ready for this? We're gonna jump in. Once, so one day, When Jacob was cooking stew, because remember, he's a tent dweller. He's cooking stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. He was exhausted. He's been hunting all night. He's trying to catch something. He didn't catch anything. Esau said to Jacob, let me have some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Now, now if you know anything about brothers, you know like, yeah, I get that, right? Especially like, so Jacob's number two in the family. How many number twos in the family do we have? Okay, so you know, you know, you're not really trying to always win, but you're always trying to win, right? Okay, so, so with Esau, Esau's the man in the field, Esau's the hunter, Esau's got his dad's eye, you know, Esau, Esau, Esau. Now Esau comes to Jacob and says, I need your help. I'm starving. And Jacob goes, oh. So if you've got kids, you've got siblings in the house, when is it ever one for one? So Jacob in his mind is going like, all right, what is the most valuable thing that I could possibly ask of my brother? So he says, okay, I'll give you some stew. Give me your birthright. Of course, Jacob's thinking, there's no way Esau would give me his birthright. But I'm going to start there, right? And then maybe I'll end at a camel or something. So he says, send me your birthright. Now, here's what's really interesting about birthrights. Birthright means three things. We don't really know about these because we don't have have them much in our culture. Here's what this means. When he's willing to trade a birthright for a bowl of stew, Birthright means that you're the firstborn, you get double the portion of the inheritance. So immediately you are more wealthy, okay, when when dad passes out or passes away. He probably passed out many times. (laughs) Passes away is different. So double the inheritance instantly, okay? So you are the wealthy one. Second thing is you are also the, the one of authority when the dad moves on. So you are the one who settles disputes, you are the one who makes the decisions, you are the one who kind of brings the family back together and and makes sure everything is peaceful and it works out well. So you have wealth with a birthright, you have authority with a birthright, and then a third thing is really interesting. It's the blessing of God, a particular special blessing of God. Now here's what's interesting. Esau's grandfather was Abraham the man who said, or the man to whom God said, I'm gonna do something amazing through you. I'm using your family to change our world. In fact, I'm not just gonna bless you in resources, I'm not just gonna bless you in my presence, I'm going to send the Messiah through your family. And think about this, when Esau is on the verge of exchanging his birthright For a bowl of soup he's exchanging the fact that his name will be tied to the Messiah forever but he can't see that what can he see he's hungry and he's exhausted and Jacob says I'll give you a bowl of stew for your birthright so let's see what happens Esau said I am about To die, probably said it just like that, and he said, "Of what use is a birthright to me?" So let's just hit pause for a second. Do you think Esau was actually about to die? Do you think he came out of the woods and he was like, "Man, if I don't get some of that stew, I'm going to I'm going down right now." Do you think that was the case? Do you think when your teenage daughter comes to you and says, "I will die if I do not get a new iPhone for Christmas." Do you think that she's literally about to die, right? When you're on Amazon, and you're like, whoa, 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 watch it, buddy. But when you're on Amazon or you're walking through the store or you're driving down the road and you see that thing you've wanted and you accidentally say, I need one of those. Do you think you will die if you do not have them, right? Something's going on. Something is happening to Esau. There's something that's happening to him that actually happens to us all the time, and we'll get into it, but here's what's crazy. Something's happening in him where he thinks it makes sense to actually exchange a bowl of stew for his birthright. Look what happens. 33, Jacob said, swear to me now. Remember, he's living up to his name. He's a cheater, and cheaters know how to get what they want. He says, swear to me now. So, look at this, most tragic thing in the story. Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. He sold it. Then Jacob gave him some bread and lentil stew. And when I read that, I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh, for lentil stew? (laughs) Like, man, how many better stews are there? You know what I mean? But whatever, I guess you're desperate. So anyways, sorry, that was, that was just me. That was not the Lord. Okay, so Jacob gave Esau bread and, and lentil stew. He ate it, and he drank it, and he rose, and he went his way. Look at this. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thus he despised it. So let me ask you the question. Why is it that we would rather gain now if it will cost us later? Why is it that we have this tendency in us that we want it now? We would rather gain now, even if it cost us later. To be more clear, why would we choose to gain something now if it has a disproportionately significant cost later? Esau said, I want that stew. I want it now, regardless of the fact that it was going to cost him his birthright and all that entailed with that. Remember, for stew, he exchanged wealth. He exchanged authority. He exchanged his name being connected to the Messiah coming and bringing salvation to the world where people would have one day said, this is Jesus from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And never again is that going to happen because he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. So why do we do that? Some of us have actually done the same thing, right? you said, I'll take that stew now. I'll take that stew now, regardless of what it'll cost you. Some of you said, I'll take that relationship now, even if it costs me my family later. Some of you said, I'll go there now. I'll try this now. I'll look at that now, even if it costs me influence or intimacy or freedom later. Why do we do this? Listen, we all have a bowl of stew. But why are we willing to trade our future for it? That's what this story's about. One word: appetites. We all have it. This insatiable desire for more. They're not going away. We all have these appetites. we're all hungry we all want more we all want more i heard andy stanley talk about this passage in particular and about appetites probably like 10 years ago and what he said stuck with my thinking because he revealed some things that are happening what happens when an appetite strikes that's what he's talking about some things happen in your brain first off what happens is called impact bias So your brain literally sabotages itself so that you can't make a good decision. Impact bias means it takes a simple appetite and magnifies it out of proportion, okay? Simple appetite, and then blows it out of proportion. This is generally, we're overestimating how something is going to make me feel. That's why two weeks after Christmas, you experience this buyer's remorse. Has anybody ever felt that? right? It's because in the moment you were like, this will change everything, right? Put yourself back at Christmas as a child. Now, you as a child, remember that thing? You're like, if I get this, I won't ask for another thing my entire life, right? <laughs> right. Ralphie from the Christmas story. I want an official Red Rider carbon action, 200 shot range model air rifle. And if I get my Red Rider rifle, I, I, it'll change everything for me. My life will be complete, right? And so every one of us has that thing. And here's the in, thing about impact bias. It generally blow, bro, blows the emotion out of proportion, negatively and positively. How many of us have been in that horrible breakup? You know what I mean? And we walk through that horrible relational thing, and then we, it leads us to believe this idea that I will never find love again right you felt that until she walks in and you're like oh well never mind you're you're like oh found it (laughs) that was easy so you know it's just one of those things that you know it's an impact bias it affects us think of what happened to Esau he comes in out of the woods and he says let me have some lentil stew and again and he says I'm gonna die unless I have this stew right how many of your appetites have ever led to death, right? Like, let's think of the appetites where we get hungry, all right? Now, if you avoid that one too long, yes, you will die. But sex is a big one. I've never heard of anybody who died because they didn't have sex. Um, you know, Those are the only two appetites that come to mind, but there are a lot of them <laughs> out there. You know what I mean? And so we all have these things, and impact bias changes the way we think. Here's another thing that's happening in this story, focalism, okay? This focuses our minds on one thing, focuses our minds on one thing, and it blurs out everything else. So Esau walks in to the tent, and he sees lentil stew, and he goes, I'm about to die, and this stew is going to change my life. You can't see the fact that you could just go grab a banana. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) you could take the edge off. But he just, he locked in on one thing and it just blurred everything else out. And so Andy Stanley talks about, here's what happens. Here's a little bit deeper understanding of appetites. Three things, ready? One, appetites were created by God and sin distorted them. God created them. Sin distorted them. Here's what I truly believe. Every desire that you have is ultimately satisfied and pointing to God. Like even when we're like, man, I'm hungry. That's why Jesus said things like, well, I'm the bread of life, okay? So even your hunger should be a thing that points you to your desire to God. But here's the reality. God created them, but sin distorted them. Our desires are broken. That's why you can't trust them. That's why you can't let them control you. You have to figure out how to control them. Here's the second thing. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied, right? Listen, in about 10 days or so, we're gonna be sitting around Thanksgiving. I don't know how your family is, but the goal is to hurt, okay? So, which I know is in the Bible we shouldn't do that, and we'll talk about that after Thanksgiving. But we eat, and then what what are you inevitably gonna say? Man, I couldn't eat for days, right? Three hours later, you're like, where's that turkey sandwich? You're you're like, come on, it's crazy, right? But that's because, listen, appetites, they're never fully or finally satisfied and they're never going away. You're never gonna get to a point where you're like, well, I'm full and I'm done. Well, I I no longer need this. Well, I no longer want this. Well, uh, appetites are with us. We gotta figure this one out. All right, here's the third thing. They always whisper now and never later. Always whisper now, never whisper later. Right? They always say, I want more. I want more, and I want it now. And if I don't get it now, I will die. Right? That's what they do. So the big question is, how are we going to resist our appetites? How are we going to control them so they don't control us? And there are many, many ways that we could go with this. But since we're talking about finances, I'm going to talk about a few really practical things to help us to get out of this chokehold on our financial appetites, this thing that says, I need more, I want more, I want more. So I'm going to just share a few field notes for finances, okay? So a lot of this is just kind of like our personal experience on the side of like wow that did not work and so we should probably learn from that or on the other side of man i've learned this and it's really helped us but ultimately here's where we need to understand when it comes to surviving the holidays from a financial standpoint the goal is to continually give control back to christ now i know you're sitting there going like of course you'd say that you're a preacher you have to say that but here let me just point something out Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure this thing out, I get it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you have or are developing a biblical perspective, biblical worldview. That means you believe, not me, you, you believe that all things belong to God. It all belongs to him. So the question changes from what do I want to how should I steward his money in this season, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're developing a biblical perspective, that's what you think about. Okay, how do I steward his money? So I'm going to give you three things. One, begin with a clear plan. Begin with a clear plan. This is super simple, but it starts with a budget, okay? Everybody say budget. Some of you did not say budget, and you said a bad word, and you should be ashamed. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. But here's let me show you how budgets work. You make a budget, and then when the money runs out, you stop. I'm going to say that again because I get like, whoa, hold on. I was not prepared for that. Here's how budgets work. You make a budget. When the money runs out, you stop. It's like drinking this tea right here. When the tea runs out, there shouldn't be any left. Okay. Because it's gone. That's how you should treat. It. And some of you are like, "Oh, but if you only knew, I got two things for them, and I need three things for them." Or, "Man, if you this was thing came on TV and blah 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 blah." Listen, you got to start with a plan because all this kind of stuff's going to be coming at you with a budget. You make a plan, and some of you need to get a little hardcore. So that means you take cash out, put it in an envelope. When you spend the last dollar, you're done. You win. All right, you can give your, you throw yourself a party. Like a water party, a cheap party. But <laughs> throw yourself a party, you won. Okay, second thing about beginning with a plan. So you need to have a budget, start with that. My Lindsay and I, we started working through that. Like, what does this look like for us? How's, how are we gonna do this? Second thing is a purpose. Have a purpose behind your spending, okay? Let me give you some ideas that we picked up along the way. For our kids, we got four kids, and so the budget's going, okay, <laughs> we need to work on this one. Beans for you, rice for you, Okay. <laughs> No, but we we try to do three gifts for our kids, and if things work out, we'll do like one for everybody. So we do a want, a need, and something to read. A want, a need, and something to read. This idea of like, what do they want? You know, we want this to be a blessing to them. What do they need? Heads up, you're getting socks. Okay, just prepare yourself. All right. And you know, something to read, something to keep growing, something like creative, something to challenge them. Another purpose for us in this season is legitimately the year-end offering for us. As a family, here's what we've been doing. Our kids have a spend, give, save full envelopes, and and they've been saving, or they've got their give envelope. And at the year-end offering, that's when they all go get their money from their give envelope, and we give it together. That's a big deal for us, because it teaches our kids the right things, I think. And so that's a big deal for us. Let me give one suggestion on this. Think in terms of significance, not stuff. Okay, legitimate Christmas gift could be an experience. All right, experiences. So think in terms of significance, not necessarily stuff. All right, let me jump to the next thing. Beware of making significant decisions with heightened emotions, in particular these two, isolation or exhaustion. How many of you know this rule? Never go to the grocery store when you are hungry heightened emotions. You come back with $300 of Cheez-Its. You're like, you're like man, when, when are you gonna eat all that stuff? So you, you just know the rule. You go to Taco Bell, then you go grocery shopping. Okay, just kidding, that'll make you hate food. Um, so yeah, so that's the rule. It's like, okay, you never go when you're hungry. So same thing applies. If it's 11 o'clock and you're on Amazon, you better guarantee. You're going to end up with some crazy stuff all right so you got to figure out how do i how do i prepare myself when i'm in these emotions so here let me give you some fail safes one is have like an accountability partner through this season okay like i'm not going to spend more than 50 bucks without talking to so-and-so first okay if you're married talk to your spouse if you got a roommate talk to your roommate in our house we can't step into a grocery store without spending more than 50 bucks so the, the amount might need to change. But, but part of this is like have an accountability partner with you so that you're not just kind of going crazy. And this third thing is part of that. Here's the third thing. Relieve the pressure of the urgent. Relieve the pressure of the urgent. How many of you have a pressure cooker? Anybody? Instant pot? Okay, upgrade. All right, so <clears throat> there's a point where that thing's just like cooking, 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 cooking. Cook. That's how our appetites are. All right, it's like more now, more now, more now. There's a point where you gotta hit the valve and relieve the pressure, okay? So here's what I mean by that. There are two things that you could do to help remove the pressure of the urge, and it's kind of like we have this idea of take a walk, right? Like, get up out of the room, take a lap, come back to it 24 hours later, and if it's still there, you know, then, then you can decide on that. Here's another thing. Force yourself to acknowledge other options, Right? That focalism thing sticks in. And so you start going like, I have to get this thing. This is the only thing that'll work. This is going to... And so force yourself to go like, there are more than one option of socks. All right. There are more than one options of, and then the thing that you're working through. So find ways to relieve the pressure of the urgent. So that's all the stuff that I've got. Listen, Esau, he had a plan, right? He went to the woods. He tried to find food. He didn't find any food. That was where his plan ended. Okay then he got emotional about it he's exhausted he's coming in and he says I'm about to die and so he felt this huge urgent need to exchange something significant for something of very little value because he was not prepared so why is it important that we get this right January's coming right January's coming Like for some reason we look at December and we gotta go, it's all or nothing. We gotta do this, we gotta make it happen. And then January comes and you're like, why did we do this? Like if Jesus just came back, that would've been better. Now we gotta deal with all this stuff. And so, listen, January's coming. The end of the year is a beginning of another one. So don't get caught in this mindset of like, it's gotta be all, listen, don't you wanna start 2020 with peace? don't you want it to be like a year of freedom right don't you want to walk into January and feel like you're already winning like you're already in charge you're already in control of some stuff because here's the reality finishing this year strong means starting next year well you can't finish strong if you're not preparing to start next year well especially from a finance standpoint so let's wrap this thing up okay Again, remember, at the end of the day, the question is this, what are you willing to trade for your appetites? We've been talking about money, but this is a lot bigger than just money, right? We've been talking about a bowl of stew. This is a whole lot bigger than just a bowl of stew. You get me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, talking about the fact that your appetites have the power to control you in a moment that will compromise your future. Do you feel the weight? Do you feel the significance of controlling these appetites? So we just want to plead with you. Honestly, we want to plead with you and just say, don't exchange your future for a bowl of stew. All right? So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get back into worship and response, okay? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word, Thank you that we get to just kinda learn from these guys, Jacob and Esau. Man, so much dysfunction and all these kind of things. So many of us feel like, well, at least I'm not, you know, that bad or but here's the reality. The the desires that tormented their heart are the same desires that torment ours. So Jesus, we need your spirit. We need you to guide us, we need you to direct us through this season. We don't want to just survive it. We want to devote it to you and for your glory. So help us to do that, Father. We pray in your name. Amen.